You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining us today. As Detroit approaches the one-year anniversary of emerging from the nation's largest ever municipal bankruptcy, WDET is examining how the city has changed. Today, we want to take a look at the settlements in the case uh, in federal court. And my next guest is the man who is credited with making many of those settlements, if not all of those settlements, happen. Chief U.S. District Judge Gerald Rosen, who leads the Eastern Michigan bench, was the chief mediator for the case. He joins us today to discuss how some of those deals are playing out a year after the case concluded. Judge Rosen, welcome to Detroit Today. Great to be here with you, Steve. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's impossible right now to sort of hear your name or say your name without thinking of the grand bargain, which uh, was the unprecedented uh, uh, cooperation of lots of different parties, but but mostly of uh, nonprofit foundations who had nothing to do, frankly, with uh, the case in front of uh, the court in, in, in federal court in Detroit's bankruptcy coming in and really just showering a lot of money into the case, which changes uh, the the entire trajectory of uh, of the case. Talk to me about that grand bargain from your perspective. I know you were the the person who thought of this uh, and and took it to the different parties. Uh, just walk us through how that all came together. Well, Steve, it was really born out of necessity. Um, as I think you know, uh, the bankruptcy was largely an assetless bankruptcy. Right. Uh, revenues had been declining for decades in Detroit. Um, and uh, as I prepared to begin the mediations after I accepted the assignment from Judge Rhodes, uh, I was uh, very, very distressed to see the more I got into it how few assets there really were. Sure. Indeed, I remember sitting down at uh, a little condo. I was on a golf vacation with my son, uh, and as I read through the material thinking, my goodness, what the hell have I gotten myself into? Uh, because as the mediator, my job, of course, was to get agreements. Right. And to get agreements, you have to have assets and revenues uh, to attract parties to come together. And that's, that's, a th- I, that's something we should sort of pause and, and, uh, and look at a little bit. I mean, I think a lot of Detroiters, I hear a lot of Detroiters push back uh, when they hear th- that this was an asset-less bankruptcy, that the city didn't have assets. They think about the things that we have here in the city, the things that we own, and they think, well, those things weren't worthless. And in fact, maybe this bankruptcy was uh, a conspiracy to come in and devalue all of those things and take them from us. And and uh, there are good answers to those to those questions. I'm not sure we always provide them. Well, uh, you know, I only know what I found uh, in the materials that I was reading. Yeah. And those materials included... Uh, Kevin Orr's proposal for creditors, mm-hmm. uh, which was really a historical look at the city. Uh, they included some of the financials in the city. Uh, they included the free press story on how Detroit went broke sure. and many other things. Yeah. Um, and all the although the city had assets, uh, the question was really whether they were readily liquidatable right. uh, and could be converted to revenue. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the things that 
I thought, and many of us thought, might be assets uh, turned out not to be. For example, City Airport. Yes. I thought that might be an asset that we could attract creditors to uh, come together with the city on uh, to provide a revenue stream. It turned out to have negative worth. Indeed, at the very end, when we tried to give it away to several of the uh, sort of uh, remaining creditors at the end. They of wouldn't the take it. They wouldn't take it. Yeah. Uh, there was just nothing there, yeah. and that was true of a number of other assets. And, and, and the, the, the way you got into that situation is that the, the things that you think of as assets uh, are carrying liabilities that exceed their value. And Far that really is the, the, the answer. Far and, exceeded and, the and value. And in Detroit, we, we really didn't have a lot of things that that wasn't true for, our, our parking structures, for instance. And for just a moment, the parking structures had negative value. Negative value because even though they bring in lots of revenue every day when people park there, you talk about backlog maintenance, you talk about debt, uh, bonded debt on them, They you couldn't sell them enough times to pay off what they owed. A very good example of that was one of the two last deals we did was Grand Circus Park, mm -hmm. uh, the parking structure under that. Sure. Anybody who's parked there, I, I think there. you park there, I do know park that there. it uh, it may not be medieval, but it is desperately it's in terrible need, shape. Terrible shape. Yeah. And we had a hard time packaging that together with other assets, uh, which we eventually did, to create some interest uh, among creditors. We ultimately, as part of the deal, uh, with uh, Sincora, we ultimately were able to package that together. In return for Sincora uh, promising to spend a significant amount of capital expenditure to bring it up to standard. Um, but that was a very good example right. of an asset that we all thought might have some residual value, uh, but indeed it could only be packaged with other assets right. to create and, value. And, and uh, sort of getting back to the, the negotiations to try to get us through the bankruptcy and the grand bargain, the idea there was not to go through and liquidate uh, everything that the city owned. It was uh, the, the idea in the bankruptcy pretty quickly became how can we preserve the city in a form that will allow it to thrive on the back end of that and settle these debts pr principally with the pensioners, who were the most vulnerable class of, of, uh, of creditors. So let me tell you how I thought about it. Um, when I really got into it at the beginning, and I realized it was largely an assetless bankruptcy, uh, it really seemed to me, Steve, that the bankruptcy was bookended. There were many, many, many important interests, but it was bookended by two principally. On the one hand, the art. Yes not only because of its cultural value and our heritage, and I felt very strongly that, you know, Detroit had been cannibalizing its heritage and its past to mortgage its future for a long time, and I just felt that we should not do that. But there were other things involved with the art. First, the legal issues involved. As you know, the Attorney General had opined that the art could not be impaired uh, in the bankruptcy, um, number one. But the legal and the legal issues could have gone on forever. Uh, but beyond that, um, anybody who lives in Detroit knows that uh, the DIA was and its art collection was one of the real gems of this area and a thriving area in Midtown yes. and an anchor of Midtown that drew many many people. In fact, I went on the website and I saw when I went on the website that the DIA drew 600,000 people a year to Midtown and all that that entails with the spinoff. But right. there was something else that was very important to me that I thought about. You know, having lived and worked here all my life, 
and gone through what you've gone through with the tensions between the suburbs and racial tensions and those sorts of things. As you know, I think I've been on the board of Focus Hope for a long, long time and involved with them even longer. Right. Uh, another thing that occurred to me was if we try to liquidate the DIA, uh, not only would it be like dropping a bomb in the middle of Midtown, a hydrogen bomb that would suck the life out of Midtown, but beyond that, it would create a regional civil war. As you know, the year before, the counties had, had the passed a millage sure. to support the DIA. And I actually went on the website and looked at the board of trustees of the DIA. And it was a who's who it's of from everybody all over the place. from all over the place. Yeah. And those folks were already raising a litigation fund. It, they weren't going to just sit back right. and accept the right. – so. We, we need to take a, a quick break, and I want to come back to, to Judge uh, Gerald Rosen. We'll finish the story about how the grand bargain and the other negotiated deals came together to get us out of bankruptcy and toward a future. Uh, stay with us here on Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. My guest is Judge Gerald Rosen, the chief judge of the U.S. District Court here in Detroit. Uh, He was also the chief mediator in Detroit's municipal bankruptcy. We're talking about how the grand bargain came together and the other deals that got us out of federal court and insolvency. Uh, Judge Rosen, you were talking about this balance you had to strike in the grand bargain between the art and the value of the art in the DIA and the the interests of pensioners who were another very important creditor in the in the process. So as I said, I, I, I saw the bankruptcy as being bookended by the art on the one hand as the only readily liquidatable asset and the retirees as a very important, not simply a demographic group, but in fairness, they had given their lives to the city, police officers, firefighters, and their survivors, uh, EMT workers, and the legal issues that surrounded them. Uh, Judge Rhodes and I, from the very beginning, were agreed on a number of points, but principally, time was the enemy. We had to get through this bankruptcy as quickly as possible because nothing was going to improve with six or seven or eight years of of scorched earth litigation. Nothing was going to improve. And uh, it just seemed to me that the key to doing that was figuring out a way to monetize the art. And this is after talking with many of the lawyers in the case uh, and financial folks. I mean, this wasn't just my idea. It sort of was an iteration after talking to lawyers and figuring out a way to monetize the art, use those proceeds, and give it to the retirees. Yeah. Um, and uh, I uh, initially thought that maybe I could get the governor, who was an old friend, uh, <laughs> to kickstart the funding. Yeah. Uh, that proved to be <laughs> difficult. Was a little reluctant to do that, right? <laughs> difficult. Proved to be difficult. Yeah. So I ran into Miriam Nolan, the president of the Community Foundation of Southeast Michigan in the deli, uh, and she asked if she could help, and I said, funny, you should ask. And, uh, you know, three weeks later, she had the presidents and leadership of 13 major foundations, and that's where it started. Uh, And principally, I'd like to single out four or five foundation leaders who exhibited exemplary courage, starting with Darren Walker Walker of the Ford Ford, Foundation, a brand new. He led the he he and Rip Rapson Uh and Miriam and Alberto Ebergeron of the Knight Foundation. Uh, Rip, of course, of the Kresge Foundation, yeah. another old friend from my Washington yeah. days. He was my doubles <laughs> partner 35 years <laughs> earlier. Um, and, you know, they came together and really led the foundations. Later, others joined. 
uh, and uh, I think very uh, enthusiastically and robustly. Yeah. But that's how it started. And then I went to when, when the money got to a critical mass, I went back to the governor and I said, you know, in this bankruptcy, you you can't leave this on the sidelines, and it's contingent upon this foundation money is yeah. contingent upon the state's participation. And then we went to the DIA and said, you know, you've got to have you some skin in, in the game. Too, right. You've got to yeah. have some skin Everybody in the game. Everybody came together, yeah. Uh, we, we've got a, just a couple minutes left in the show. I want to I want to give you a chance to talk about, you are the chief judge, as I said, of the district court here, but you're stepping down from that post. That happens uh, from time to time. We switch uh, which judge is going to be I'm the term chief limited. judge. You're too term limited, Just right? as you were we talking, were talking about. about that earlier. Uh, you have had a, a remarkable run of important cases through the court during the time that you uh, you were chief judge. Uh, talk about just, I mean, from the corruption cases in Detroit, the, the, the terrorist, the underwear bomber, uh, those cases. Same-sex marriage. Same-sex marriage case, which started in district court here. Affirmative uh, action uh, cases. Affirmative action cases. And now, of course, the Detroit bankruptcy. That's a really unusual uh, that's an unusually high concentration of very big cases in one district court. Well, of course, as chief judge, I don't bring those cases, right. and in no, fact, I'm not, not really deciding a lot of them, although right. I, I do preside over the grand jury, which has had a lot to do on the yeah. criminal docket. But, but I mean, but, uh, thinking of a bench that, that is sort of bombarded by that number of big cases, it's, it's unusual. Uh, and, you know, I don't mind saying, as someone who covered federal courts uh, in Washington for a very long time, uh, I think this this bench really stepped up to to all of those cases. I mean, no matter what the verdicts were, they were handled in a really, really uh, professional and uh, judicial manner. Well, you know, Steve, I am exceedingly proud of our court, uh, not just our the judicial officers on our court, but our administrative staff and all the people who work. We lead the nation in many other areas that the public never sees. Right. Our probation department, our pretrial department, our services to the public through the clerk's office are, are, are really models for many other courts, and we've been at the leadership. But I'm, I'm very, very proud of our court and the way it has stepped up. And one other thing I would add, we've just gotten, as I think you know, a three-phase appropriation of $140 million to dramatically renovate that our 85-year-old yes. courthouse. Yeah. And it's we're going to be able to serve the public, hopefully for another 85 years, much, much better than we've been able to do. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure to be involved in uh, that and an honor. We've got only uh, about 30 seconds left. I, I do want to ask you whether you ever, during the bankruptcy, did you ever feel like it was not going to come together? Were there moments where you said, this is all going to collapse and it's going to be chaos? Well, you know, I'm always a guy who pushes us toward the finish line. <laughs> uh, but there were moments when I had doubts, sure. Yeah. Uh, there were moments when I had doubts. Uh, when the uh, free press and the news broke the story of the grand bargain, <laughs> right. I was afraid was out, that would, it was out. It was out sure. there, and I was afraid it was going to scare the foundations off. And even more than that, the financial creditors, who of course were not going to benefit from the proceeds sure. from the art, sure. were going to line up and get it and try to. They could have shoot taken it, us to court and shoot it down. Yeah, yeah. Right. And in the end, so that was that was one point. Yeah, but okay. Judge Gerald Rosen, uh, Chief Judge of the District Court here in Michigan. Thank you for being here. We're going to have to have you back. I know you're writing a book about all of this, so we'll have you back to talk more about it. Thank you for being here on Detroit today. Thanks, Steve. Pleasure. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit Wayne State's Public Radio. Station. I'll see you tomorrow.